The book of Titus, yes. It's, uh, we're going to pick right up there in chapter 3 of Titus. <coughs> now, I know the, the ice coming, so uh, be safe over the next couple of days. Uh, it's a great time to just sit back and have that cup of coffee or tea, finish up all your little sweets that you had over the Christmas, and finish off the new year real well with all those sweets, you know. And then you can make that commitment in the new year, right? To cut out the sweets. All right. <clears throat> Let's start uh, in chapter 2 of Titus. I'm going to read verses 11 through 15, and we'll get our, our conversation going on here real quick. Amen? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So as we take a look at the scriptures here in uh, this, uh, this epistle, this letter from Paul, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, writing these words down on paper for a man named Titus. To then communicate out to those believers that he was ministering to. And as a child or as children of God or believers, what are we hoping for this new year? What are we looking forward to this new year? What are we expecting this coming new year in your life? Many times people set expectations or set goals and set uh, uh, these, these, these promises that you're going to do something different this year. And many times you hear the statistics of how they always, you always mean well and start well, but don't finish well <laughs> in those goals and those aspirations or whatever it may be. But here in the book of Titus, Paul is writing to Titus, instructing him to speak to the people at church and how they are to live godly lives. Highlighting to them what to keep their minds on or they're focused upon in the coming year. And that is the blessed hope that God gives us. That blessed hope and that glorious hope of of his return for his people to take us home into his presence. Now, how about you? I'm excited about that. That could be the best new year that could ever happen to, to all of us if he was rapture his church out of here and take him into the present time. But at the same time, we sit there and say, Lord, I don't need to go right now because I've got so many loved ones, so many friends, and so many neighbors, and so many acquaintances, and even complete strangers that I have not met yet that need to know you, Lord, before you come back for your church. 
And it's because Paul here is highlighting to Titus about God's grace and how God's grace is the gospel's way of bringing salvation to mankind. And that this is clearly noticeable by our hope in Jesus' return for us. So what we do while we're waiting for Jesus to come back should be driven or be motivated by the grace which he purchased us and is coming back for us as children of God. That's what should drive us every day. Lord, you purchased me. You redeemed me. You've taken me out of the miry clay. You've set me free from my sins and wiped them clean, and you're coming back for me. That is what motivates and drives me every day that I wake up. And it should be that daily walk with him, that driven of saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? You've called me to do things. I'm going to faithfully do those things. Why? Because you loved me so much, how could I not love by doing what you've called me to do in obedience? Lord, I know what you've done in my past, but Lord, let me not live in the past, but let me live into the future of what, God, you could do in and through my life to touch the lives of those who are blind like I used to be. Now look at what he says here. The word renewing today is our, our, our uh, title. And renewing means to reestablish a relationship. To re to, rep to repeat a commitment that you may have made. Renewing means to revive or give fresh life and strength to something that God's called you to do. But renewing can also mean replace that which was broken. That is not functioning right or doing or not on the right place. It's been broken. It's it's. it's it seems to be unmended. But God can renew not only your life and the relationships in your life, but he can also renew or bring about the strength to bring back, to repeat the commitment you've made to Christ, but also to revive or refresh your life and strengthen your life to do what God called you to do, but also replace those broken moments or situations that you find yourself in. God can renew. God is in, in, in the business of refreshing your life day by day, as the scripture says. So as we look at a renewing new year, our renewing commitment to Christ, our renewing vision of 2020, let us have a renewing of the worship of God in our prayers and communion with him. Let us have a renewing of the word of God in our lives. That we would want to read the word and study the word and apply the word to our lives on a daily basis. And thirdly, the renewing of the work of God in and through our lives in this church, but in this community that we live. That is what God's called us to do. 
Forget last year. Forget this as we end a year and where we may have fallen short or where we may have not gone right or got off course or not seem to be have clarity or we didn't have more faithful or not committed. But to, now we look to the future. We look into the new year and we say, God, this is a renewing year. This is a renewing year for me. I'm committed to you because you give an all to me. You've committed your life for me. My reasonable response is to what? Commit my life to you. Now as we look at here at Titus chapter 3 verse 1, Paul is re reminding to Titus, but it does the same thing for you and I today. That God says it's okay to remind people. If you're a, if you're a parent and you, you have children, you know and understand what it means to remind your children over and over and over. And, and, yeah, yeah, but truly, your, your kids do get it after a while. They do learn it and they do get it. And then the scary part is they do repeat to you. <laughs> so be careful what you're teaching them. But he, Paul says here, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities. Paul is saying, Titus, you're the leader of the church. Remind your people that they need to be subject or be submissive to the rulers and the authorities that are put above them in their community and in the church. He also says, remind them to be obedient, to obey, and to be ready for every good work. And verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable. Gentle, showing all humility to all men. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. It's good to be reminded of the God's truth. Over and over to remind to not only to remind yourself of God's truth as you study God's word, but also to take God's word and remind your children and remind those in the faith of God's truth. It's good. It's all right to remind them. It is important that Christians be good citizens here without compromising their faith, Paul says to Titus. To tell the people that you need to be submissive to the rules and the authorities placed above you. They lived, all of us as believers, we, they lived in these pagan neighborhoods. And they watched all their friends who were non-believers. They're not of the way. And they're sitting there and they're disobeying the laws of man. But Christians must submit or obey to the authority of the state. We see that also noted in Romans chapter 1 verse 13. We are to obey the laws of the land. We're also, he says, to be ready for every good work. Ready to do good work in cooperating with those matters that involve the whole community. The, the place that, where you live, you need to cooperate, be ready to, for good works within that community of where you live. Yes, our citizenship, heavenly citizenship is in, uh, uh, is in heaven. We noticed that and, and noted that in Philippians 3.20. But it does not absolve us from the responsibilities as citizens on earth. The believer should not have a bad attitude toward the government and show it by uh, slandering 
um, accusations and actions, we're reminded here, Paul is saying to Titus to teach the people, we must stay peaceable. As we walk according to the ways of God in this world that we live in, we must walk peaceably with our fellow man. But not only are we to be submissive or obey and ready and peaceable, we're also to be gentle. The word gentle means an attitude of reasonableness or self-restraint or moderation. Not demanding to have our way and demanding the law. But are willing to work out a morally good compromise to those around you. I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to, to be part of the solution and help the fellow man as long as you're not asking me to go against the word of God. You're not asking me to go against my morals that God has given me. I'm willing to come alongside and help you and help the community. But we do it with humility of heart. He says to show all humility to what? All men. Not just certain ones you can be humble, you know, humbled with because they're your brothers or your sister, but no, to all men. With the humility of heart, it's, we're not to be too critical-minded or critical-spirited of, uh, of our pagan neighbors. Because you've been saved, you can't have this selfish right, uh, religious, uh, religiosity or self-righteousness that overrules and overlooks, looks down upon your unbelieving uh, neighbor. Because we must remember where we came from. What did God save you from? He even notes that in verse 3, For we ourselves were also once foolish, just like your neighbor. You were once disobedient, deceiving, or deceived, and, and serving various lusts and pleasures, and living in malice and envy and hateful and, and hating one another. That used to speak to you and me. That was us before we got saved. After you get saved, that should not be speaking of you. <laughs> if you're sitting there going, that's speaking of me. Well, then you need to check your heart and do some confession there to the Lord. Because that should not be speaking of us. We shouldn't be out there foolishly doing things against the things of God. We shouldn't be out there being disobedient against the things of God. We shouldn't be deceived by the, the things of this world or living in our lusts and pleasures of our life. Let alone being hateful or hating one another. That should not be coming from the heart of a Christian. That's the old life. The new life is not like that. But based on our own experience, we need to know that that used to be our old sinful life. And that's why we need to be humble in working with those who are around us. Those non-believers. Because they, you can understand and relate to where you used to be. That you can, you know that what God has done in your life, God can do that same thing in their life. Do you still believe that, my brothers and sisters? So many times you get saved and you've been saved for so long that you lose touch with where you came from. And you don't believe that because God is, you're not seeing the refreshness or renewing in your life. You seem to be dull and, and something's not right in your life. You, you go, well, I can't. Go out there and share the good news when I don't have good news in my life. I'm not sensing God's changing me, so why would I go share the good news with someone who's dying going to hell? 
That's a trick of the enemy, my brothers and sisters. If you're feeling dull and suppressed, then there might be something in your life you need to repent of. You're, you're, you're quenching the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. You need to confess to all things. You need to come back to the table, come back to his feet and worship him every day and just stay close to him. So there's a refresher, renewing in your spirit of your life so that you are emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit to touch those who are, are lost and going to hell. There's got to be a passion deep within that says, I've been saved and I can't wait to help other people come to Christ so they can get saved. It's got to be our passion in this new year. If you really believe that Jesus is coming back for his church, and those who are left behind are going to go through the most torturous pain you've ever experienced, would ever experience. Had a compassion for your mankind. Why would you not share the good news with them of what God has done in your life and doing in your life? That's what Paul is saying to Titus is to remind those people in the church there. You need to be renewed. But if but to, once you're a believer, you have to live a certain way. You're not going to live the old life there. Notice in chapter in verse three. But in verses 1 and 2, remind, we just be obedient. Just get along peaceably with your men and women around you. Speak of evil of no one. Be gentle and be humble with all men. You're not superior to anybody. You're a, you're, you're a sinner that's been saved by grace. They're a sinner that needs to be saved by grace. And you have the answer to tell them that there is a way. There is a way. Now if we take a look at verse, verse 4, he says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what the kindness and the love of God has done in your life? Are you reminded daily of his kindness and as of his love for you as our God and Savior? We need to be reminded daily of that. Psalm 117.2 says, For his merciful kindness is great toward us and the truth of the Lord endures forever, praise the Lord. In Isaiah 54, 8, with a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Because our Redeemer lives. Isaiah 54, 10 says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. If you want a beautiful illustration of this God's kindness and love and mercy upon one's life, go back today and read 2 Samuel. And note David's treatment of Mephibosheth 
is this young little lame child from birth. Remember, he got dropped, got, became lame, couldn't walk. He was part of Saul's family, King Saul's family. When Saul killed himself and he died and, there, and his whole family was going to be removed, David came into power. Everyone with expectations, including Mephibosheth, believed that he was going to be killed by David because that was the way to get rid of anybody who would possibly come against his kingdom. But God put it on David's heart, kindness toward Mephibosheth. And even though Mephibosheth expected David to slay him, David in his kindness spared him and treated him as one of his own sons at the palace table. God has called us to serve him according to this kind of way. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God has a plan to work in and through your life. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amazing grace. So salvation came not only because of God's kindness and love, but also notice, but also because of his mercy. In verse, at the end of uh, 5b there, at the end of verse 5, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom, verse 6, whom he, the Holy Spirit, poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. You and I have to remember that we don't save ourselves. He saved us. How did he do that? Through the washing of God. He bathed us all over. He cleansed us completely from all of the dirty filth of sin. See, when a sinner trusts Christ, He is cleansed from all sins. And he is made a new person by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul relates this same kind of cleaning to the being washed by the word of God in Ephesians 5.26. Salvation comes to a sinner when he trusts Christ, when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about the new birth in someone. And then we are born of the Spirit, John 3, verses 5 and 6. And we are born of, to the Word of God, of, of the Word, which is in, we also see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. The fact that the Holy Spirit wants to work through your life in this new year. Sharing God's word, not your words. God's word with someone who is an unbeliever. And watch the Holy Spirit do a work in their life and they could be saved. If they choose to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior.
That's not your choice. All you and I do is share God's word to those who God brings across our path. Let God do the work in that person's life. But God has called us. Why? Because salvation came not only because of God's kindness and love and because of his mercy. Because how did he do it in our life? How did he do this renewing in our life? How did he bring about this miracle of this new birth of the work of the Holy Spirit of God? Ephesians 2.8 says it very clearly to you and I. For by grace you have been saved through faith and, not, and that not of yourselves. It is a it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Remember, even in Ephesians 3.20 it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. In verse 6 here, we see the Holy Spirit is poured out on us abundantly. An abundant life through Jesus Christ our Savior. You can have an abundant life. So if you're living in, the, in, in 2000 the previous year of 2019 here, and you didn't experience that abundant life, you need to come back and be renewed in the spirit of God who lives within you so that you can have an abundant life in 2020. You need to choose to follow him. You need to choose to surrender more. You need to choose to, to be obedient and to follow his way. Not putting boundaries and restrictions on what God wants to do miraculously through your life to touch the lives of someone else. Because it's going to take faith to do whatever God's calling you to do in 2020. If it doesn't take faith, I, I question if it's of God. If you can see it all figured out, and you're going to get all the benefit. And it makes your life all the better. And it's, in, it's not inconvenient, but it's just nice and orderly and it's all perfect and smooth and everything is going to be just the way I want it. I would say check to make sure that it is truly of God. Because if you don't have to rely upon the Holy Spirit's power that lives within you to do a work, then you're relying upon your own strength. And it will not last you will not succeed in that work. Just the way it works. It's the way it is. But he washed us. He bathed us. He cleansed us. And he abundantly provides exceedingly, abundantly above all we ask or think. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As you go out, the power of God is going to work through your life. Everyone else around you, these non-believers, are going to think you're crazy. and It's foolish that you would live your lives like that. 
Why do you choose to live like that? Why do you go to church? Why do you serve people? What are you gaining from them? Why would you go out and spend your time and effort and money and resources and energy? Why would you do these things in the name of God? What are you benefiting from it? That's how the world thinks. But as children of God, that's not how we think. We just give. Why? Because we've been given so much from God. So much. He's given us life, eternal life. Not only have we, who are Christians, been washed and made new in Christ, but we have also been justified. Look at verse 7. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This wonderful doctrine of justification, just as if you've never sinned before, is outlined in detail. And please read through Romans chapters 3 through chapter 8. It goes in great detail on the doctrinal truth of justification. You've been justified. When you've given your life to Christ, you've been justified just as you've never sinned before. It's been wiped clean. There's no residue or any, any indication you've ever sinned in your life when you got saved. Romans 8, verse 17 says, If children, if you're a child of God, then you're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, Christ, that we may also be glorified together. We're glorified with Christ. How great and beautiful that is. What is justification, though? It is that Gracious act of God, whereby he, whereby he declares a believing sinner righteous because of the finished work of, cross, of, the, of Christ on the cross. Because of Christ's work on the cross, he takes you and I as a sinner and makes us righteous before the eyes of God. God puts to our account the righteousness of his son Jesus so that we can be condemned no more. Satan wants to condemn you, constantly remind you and condemning you. But you're no longer condemned by God. Why? Because you've been made righteous by his son Jesus. Not only does God forget our sins, but he forgets that we were even sinners. And that is so hard for new believers to get that around their heads when they first get saved. Because you're still struggling with the past. You're still struggling with the things that you, you've been hampered with. But you must keep your mind and your eyes and your mind focused upon the truth of God that you've been justified. And so... What is the result of this kindness that God has shown you? What is the result of the love that God has shown you? What is the, the, the result of the mercy and the grace that God has shown you? There's one word, and that is hope. We are heirs of God. We have hope, the fact that we are children of God, that we are heirs of God, and that we are going to be in the presence of God. 
This means that today we can draw on his riches. And when he comes, we will share in his wealth and his kingdom forever. And this hope ties us back to that blessed hope that we read in in Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope. But there's something else that comes along with hope. That blessed hope for you and I as a child of God. We see this in verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to confirm constantly. Confirm constantly. Affirm, I should. Affirm constantly. You're constantly affirming what the truths of God and what God's called you to do. Affirming always. Because I assure you the world wants you to stop focused on what God's called you to do. He wants you to get you on a rabbit trail in a squirrel moment and take you off somewhere else. But you and I must affirm constantly what God's called us to do for his kingdom. That those who have believed in God, that's speaking of you, should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So, in our last verse here, we we see that we should live godly lives and be careful to maintain good works in this life we live. Why? Because the only evidence that an unbeliever, unbelieving person or an unsaved person even knows you're a, a child of God. The only way a non-believer, an unsaved person knows that you are saved and are a child of God is through the good works that you're doing in and through your life. Good works are not only what we do in serving our brothers, our brothers and sisters in, in church. That's, that's good. We're supposed to serve within the church. And we always keep our brothers and sisters in priority if they're in need over a non-believer. We see that in scripture as well. If I have one thing and I see a believer and a non-believer both need it, then I'm going to give it to the believer. But we're also to go out and serve sacrificially to the non-believers, the unsaved. Because when we go out into our neighborhoods and our unbelieving neighbor to the left and to the right, how can we serve them? How can we show love to them? How can we be a part and help them in their time of need? And it's the most subtlest of ways, my brothers and sisters. In the North Country, we have a thing called snow and lots of it. Do you know that you probably have at least Maybe you have one non-believer living around you. Maybe one. You have, maybe you've witnessed all of them. They all got saved and they're, and they're just following the Lord today. But most of us have at least one neighbor to the front, front and back or wherever that may need your help because God has given you the physical strength and ability to help them through a blizzard. The snow blow them out. Because she's 70, 80 years old and she cannot move a shovel. And her years are coming to an end. Could you share and go over there and knock on the door and say, I will shovel that for you, ma'am. But let me tell you, Jesus loves you. 
because the Bible tells me this, and then share the good news with that elderly woman. Someone could have just broke a leg. 20-year-old broke a leg, and he could probably or she could probably outdo you. But look for that moment as saying, let me take something to her or him and say, this is what I would like to do for you because I know you're in need. Can you ask God to give you those opportunities this new year? To go out and to be light and salt and to help the needs of those who are unsaved that are around you in your community? Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's renewing. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that you might be an example, that people can look at your life and prove what is that of good and acceptable and perfect will of God? How do they know that you're in the will of God that's good and right and perfect? Is because you're out and you've been transformed on how you think and the way you think. It's in line with the word of God. And people will ask you, why do you do what you do? Why do you think the way you think? Why are you not doing this? And you say, oh, I used to be that way. But let me tell you that what the results of that sin did in my life. But then God came in and changed me, transformed my mind, and I've been renewed. I've been set free. I am no longer being condemned by God of the sin that I lived. I've been set free. And I have a blessed hope of him taking me home. Do you, can you share that in this new year? Have a passion for those who are lost. See, the best way a local church, you and I, here at Calvary Chapel, can witness into this community is to be trained up and to go out into our community and serve the loss wherever God guides us. That is the best thing we can do to be a witness for God. And as we move into the new year, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says it well, Therefore do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Yes, I assure you this body is wearing out quickly. But my spirit is being renewed day by day. Is yours? Remember, God is at work in your life. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Is that speaking of you? Do you have a steadfast, solid spirit doing, you know you're in the will of God and doing what he's called you to do? Be encouraged, my brothers and sisters. 
The past is the past. You're ever going into a new year. You get to start fresh. You get to start new. You get to do and come back on course of what God wants you to do. Seek him with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and just be obedient, immediate obedience to what God's called you to do. Not only within the church of serving, but outside into your communities of the lost. Because we have died of ourselves. We live for Christ. Less of me and more of him. And he'll renew a steadfast spirit within you. But we must be still and know that he is God and that God lives within you as a believer. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But those who wait upon, wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God will empower you to do the work that he's called you to do. He will lift you up when he needs to lift you up above the difficulties and the boundaries or the barriers that come against you. But most of all, he's going to strengthen you to do the work that he's called you to do. He's not going to call you and I to do something in the new year and then sit back and say, okay, you'll figure it out. He'll give you all the wisdom and the strength and the ability and the resources available to him who, owes, who, who controls all things of the universe. That's why we don't have to fear. We don't have to doubt because God is doing the work. But he's going to allow you to run and not get weary. Run the race, my brothers and sisters. Keep running with a great anticipation and perhaps maybe this year, wouldn't it be great, that he would come and take us home. Keep running. Keep walking and not faint. There's a time where you just keep walking. Walking with the Lord. Because as you do, it's amazing what he'll do in and through your life. Let us look forward to the new year with great anticipation of our Lord's return. Let us look forward into the new year of his renewing work in and through you this coming year. Remember, salvation produces a renewing or a transformation in a person's life, which in turn leads to the anticipation of Christ's return. May we have truly a new and wonderful new year. Amen?